I always say two E's, education and empathy. And I think with education, most people don't understand that nobody aspires to be someone who struggles with substance use disorder. Nobody aspires to be an addict. When I was 16 years old, I didn't, it didn't say in my yearbook that I wanted to be an addict. It, it, there was a lot of things that happened along the way um, that, that caused me to use substances. And what ended up causing my addictions, I think, was I started to use the substance to cope and to numb pain. There was there people who judged me when I was struggling with addictions and then showed up on my step when I had cancer with a gift basket? Yes, there was. Sadie. And I'm Alex. And this is Glass Gateway. A podcast about crystal meth, substance use, and life in Saskatchewan, Canada. This podcast has been made possible through the generous funding of the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council. Today we're talking about stigma and all the ways it can impact accessing treatment and getting support. The Oxford Dictionary defines stigma as feelings of disapproval that people have about particular illnesses or ways of behaving. Stigma when it comes to substance use particularly substances that are not legal, like crystal meth is huge. Society looks at people who use substances negatively, calling them terrible names and treating them like they caused their addiction and are somehow less valuable members of society. Over time, this kind of treatment can cause people dealing with addiction struggles to avoid seeking support because they fear judgment and disrespect. In this episode, you'll meet Brad and Daniel. Both men are in their own recovery from substance use and now share their experiences in an effort to educate the public about substance use and addiction. Brad Sorowski is a mental health advocate, a counselor, and he is in his own recovery. He works a lot in the community, providing presentations on addiction to community groups, businesses, and high schools. As Brad introduces himself, I'm a certified mental health and addictions counselor, and I work for the Sask Health Authority. That's my day job, and I have a side job where I also promote positive mental health, basically, and addictions awareness. So what I do is I travel from community to community, doing workshops, delivering presentations, basically using my voice to help others help themselves. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm an advocate. I'm I'm in recovery. I'm just about 11 years sober, and ever since I started to sober up, I've wanted to use my voice to help others. So that's kind of a brief rundown. There's lots of stuff. Usually when I do any kind of introduction, there's way more stuff, but uh, that's that's the brief overview of me. We asked Brad how he defines stigma in the context of addictions. In my opinion, stigma is just, it's it's an uneducated opinion of something that people see on the surface. Like I th- I'm pretty sure education that my education tells me and my Catholic upbringing tells me that stigma comes from like stigmata, like the marks on people's skin, and and they were judged by those marks. So there's not a lot that's changed except the marks are addiction, the marks are mental health, and I and I add in uneducated 
in front of the uneducated opinion because most of the time when people are judging people's marks, they have no idea how they got them. If somebody looks at the scar I have on my forehead, they have no idea how I got that that mark. If someone looks at the scar I have on my rib cage, nobody knows that I had cancer to get that mark, but they might make an uneducated guess and assume because I'm covered in tattoos that maybe I got it in a knife fight. But this is the problem. This is where stigma comes from. It's uneducated guesses around things that we don't know about. We look at something, we see it, we think, I wonder what happened. And then we form an opinion that's often not the case at all. And this is stigma. This is addictions. Brad shared a bit about what it felt like being in his own addiction. When, when I was going through addiction, I felt alone. I felt like I didn't have anybody to talk to. I felt like I was the, one of the only people in the world who were going through the things that I was going through. And when you feel alone, you keep everything to yourselves. And often people who are struggling with both mental health and addictions, they just want to be heard. They just want someone to hear them, to, to understand what they're going through, to feel their pain with them, to sit and be with them so that they don't feel like they're alone like that any longer. And so my conversation would be more of an open invite to the person to share what they're going through with me. And then I would like to just listen. And this is what I do with a lot of my clients is it's, I, I, we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you. What's going on with you, you know? And if there's little pieces where that I can share about my own life, that'll make them feel a little bit more comfortable. Then often I'll throw some of those tidbits in, but for the most part, I want them to feel that they're being heard because I feel like, for so many addicts, they've felt alone for so long that they feel like there's nobody they can talk to and they feel like they haven't been heard. I I tried to hide my substance use for years because of the shame that was attached to it, because of the stigmas that came along with it. You know, I was a closet drinker. I lied to people. I would make excuses if I would tell people I was tired. You know, if I was slurring my words, I would have some kind of excuse. Uh, I, was an, I was a cocaine addict for years, so I told people I had allergies for years. I figured out after I used cocaine that I do have allergies, but that wasn't why my nose was running then. So, uh, you know, there were so many things. I constantly did stuff to hide my addictions because I, I was ashamed to talk to people about them because of the stigmas that came along with them. I mean, there's many, there was a lot of other reasons that, I tried to hide them too. I tried to hide them because I know that people wanted what was best for me. And there was a, a large amount of disappointment that came with the fact that I was struggling again. And there was a large amount of uh, not knowing how this is the education piece, right? I think some of the people around me struggled the most because they just didn't know how to help. Another important area Brad covered was how addiction can be self-medication for mental health issues. While we discussed mental health in our last episode, some of Brad's reflections are so important in the discussion of stigma. I have a lot of clients that I work with that use their addictions to cope with their mental health disorders. They're not medicated properly, and the only way they know how to medicate themselves is by taking a drug like crystal meth that can help regulate your central nervous system by using an alcohol, a drug like alcohol to kind of bring you down from that stuck on type feeling you have and level you off. And people have no idea that these people are using these drugs to medicate themselves. It's okay for us to push a drug over a counter for them. But if people are using alcohol or crystal meth or any of those drugs to help themselves because they can't get to a physician or anything like that, then they're seen as a junkie or a drunk or an addict or a bum or whatever. 
So the whole, uh, the whole thing we need to do comes back and it's going to come back. And I think through this, through this whole discussion, I'm going to be using the words education, awareness, and empathy a lot. At one point, Brad said, often if they talked about their problems when they were younger, it caused more problems for them. So they've they've learned to hide from these problems and to not talk about things. So people with the, in the outside world don't often know what people with substance use disorders are going through. And and they, so they just make this this generalized opinion, this stigma, this stereotype. They're just a drunk. They're just taking the easy way out. They're just hiding behind a bottle or a needle or a pill or whatever. When actually, like we said earlier, they're they're most a lot of the time they're numbing the pain. That was interesting. As Brad is talking about internalized stigma and externalized stigma. Internalized stigma is something I think a lot of people living with addiction struggle with. From young age, some kids get told not to talk so much about their problems. And then the next thing you know, they're holding back from getting help, which just leads to more problems. Yes, and you worry about how people are going to treat you when you do try to get help. More from Brad about this. I always say that when I'm doing my presentations and stuff, so every time, because of the stigmas that come along with substance use, and because I felt a lot of the times like I was alone and I had very little support, my this is what, what it would look like for me often, is I would try and quit using a substance. And then I'd relapse. And because of the way I'd been treated, because of the shame, the worthlessness, the all the things that come along, the stigmas and stereotypes that came along with that addiction, when I relapsed, I, I would feel all those things. And the only way I could cope with those things at, that I thought at the time was to continue using drugs. So I kept doing, I kept feeling all these terrible negative thoughts that came along with the with the relapse, which caused me to use more drugs. And then when I did have some limited success, if I made a mistake again, because I knew of everyone's outlook and the way they thought about all this, I felt like I was worthless and useless again. And it it caused this vicious cycle with me that really almost became my demise. Like it really felt like I had no hope of getting out of addictions because I was worthless. I was useless. Um, nobody cared about me. I was that I was the term that I was the drunk loser locked in my own apartment that nobody gave a shit if they were alive or dead. And it just became this vicious circle for me. It was, it had a terrible, terrible effect on my, on my mental health and my self-esteem. Brad mentioned how lived experience is so important in addictions work. Lived experience is, is education second to none. Like you can go read as many books as you want. Uh, but until you've actually lived lived through that physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally, you can't you can't really wrap your mind around that. And I would say there's a few exceptions to that. People who have family members that have struggled often are are very very good counselors because they've seen it from a different perspective. But I, I can definitely see why people who have addictions gravitate to people who have addictions in the field. In terms of stigma, working with someone who has been through a similar experience reduces the stigma as they get it, and they are not going to judge in the same way. In our interview with Brad, we also talked about whether certain substances have more stigma associated with them. Brad had a lot to say about this. Do you notice a difference in stigma towards like uh, a person who uses opiates, opioids compared to like uh, a crystal meth user or an alcoholic? Oh, wow. How much time do you have for this one? The opiate piece and the crystal meth piece, depending on what type of opiate, I see I see a definite difference between people 
the opinion on people who have, are using prescribed opiates because often people say, well, they're prescribed. So they were meant to do well. They were meant to do good for people. But um, so then if you're, you know, people who became addicted to Oxycontin in that, in that whole, uh, that whole crisis, there was a, sometimes there was more of an understanding around that because it was a, do, it was a doctor prescribed drug. And, but the, the big thing that, that I want to talk about with that question you just asked is the difference between the basic uh, stereotypical drugs, what are considered the hard drugs, like crystal meth and and opiates and like fentanyl and all those major ones you hear all about in the news compared to alcohol. There, there's a huge difference between the idea of a junkie and, a, and the idea of a drunk. And, and there's this really, really messed up conception of society that crystal meth and cocaine and opiates and fentanyl are the worst drugs there are out there. And they're not. The alcohol next to tobacco kills the most people every year. And because it's socially acceptable and legal, people turn a blind eye to it all the time because people go to go to happy hour every day. It becomes okay. I just made, I just said to my buddy, I said, I'm going to make, I'm going to mimic a Coors light commercial and I'm going to make a commercial for meth light. And on the commercial, there's going to be a bunch of really skinny models in bikinis standing in front of a barbecue with nothing on it. Cause people on meth don't eat and they're going to have scabs and they're going to be picking at them and they're going to do all this disgusting stuff. And when there's an uproar, I'm going to say, well, how come it's okay with, with beer and alcohol, but it's not okay to have a commercial like that with meth when they're both drugs, one's just legal and one's not. And there's this perception that around, Oh, it's crystal meth. It's terrible. It is terrible, but it's no more terrible than alcohol. People just don't think alcohol is terrible because it's legal and it's socially acceptable. But if you look at domestic violence, if you look at uh, alcohol-induced car or caused car accidents, if you look at even sp- like spousal abuse, children abuse, any form of sexual abuse, m- most date rapes are caused because of alcohol. And people turn a blind eye to it because it's socially acceptable and legal. And in my mind, this shit's got to stop, pardon my language. But it's weird. We're not, we're paying attention. We're, we're stigmatizing and stereotyping these people who are on the street that are using crystal meth. They're using crystal meth because it's more affordable than alcohol. There's, this is, there's a problem with people who think, well, like if I said to you, oh, well, I'm just going to go out after work and smoke a few uh, points of meth. People would be in an uproar. What? You can't do that. But it's okay for me to go drink till I'm absolutely annihilated at a bar. And when I get to work the next day, everybody laughs it off. There's a serious problem. There's a serious difference of opinion around drugs. It is interesting that there is such a social hierarchy of what drugs are seen as socially acceptable. Unfortunately, this hierarchy only makes stigma around drugs like crystal meth worse. We had a good discussion with Brad about stigma and self-esteem when it comes to drug use. How does the stigma affect one's self-esteem? I, I try not to speak for other people, so I'll speak for myself and I'll talk to you about the stigma that came along with uh, with the alcoholism and how it affected my self-esteem is that when I started to be kind of looked at as the drunk, the community drunk, and the, the person who is known in the community for being a heavy drug user... It, it really changed the way I felt about myself. I, I already struggled with self-esteem to begin with, 
But when people labeled me as something and had opinions about me and had discussions about me that, that weren't always even necessarily true, just because they knew that I used drugs and alcohol, it really, really caused me to feel a lot worse to really, my self-esteem really took a, a downhill spiral when I, when I started wearing that alcoholic badge, when I started being considered the junkie. You also start to feel like you're alone. Everyone thinks they're better than you, like your community is turning against you. And really, the answer to, to recovery for me is support and connection. And I felt quite the opposite. I felt disconnected and unsupported by people. And it really, really did a lot of damage to my mental health and the way that I felt about myself. I, I should be able to uh, to talk to someone about my struggles with addictions. No different than I should be able to talk to someone about if I have a physical ailment. Same with mental health, right? One of the most interesting parts of our conversation with Brad is where he describes a different response he received from the community when he had cancer compared to when he sought support for his drug use. And when I was diagnosed with cancer, everyone did a huge wrap around me and everybody was there to support me. And the doctors were asking me what they could do for me. And the nurses were asking what they could do for me. And about 10 years prior to that, I went into the hospital and because I had a cocaine and alcohol induced heart attack. And I was told that I brought it on myself. And I told, and I was told that this was my fault for doing this. No, and they asked me, did you use drugs? And I said, yes, I've used alcohol and cocaine. And they said, you did this to yourself. When I went into the hospital with cancer, nobody asked me any questions, what I've ate, the type of lifestyle I've led. I just had cancer. Wrap around this guy. Why are we treating people with a substance use disorder any different than we're treating people with cancer? Uh, it's If we want to talk about choices, my I could have got cancer because I smoked. I could have got cancer because I had a bad diet. I mean, we don't go around pointing out negative things that people have done when they get when they get um, diagnosed with a serious illness. The only thing we do that with is mental health and addictions. And like everywhere else, the hospital and the people who work in those facilities are getting better, but it's coming at a very uh, at a slow pace too. I I think there needs to be more education, more mental health, more addictions education. Given Brad's own experience, he's able to relate to what people going through addictions are dealing with. He spoke about the many ways that education can help when it comes to stigma. So there needs to be the education piece that comes with that. There needs to be an understanding that a lot of this stuff is related to trauma. It's related to mental health disorders. It's related to so many other things, but usually it's not a choice. And that's, I always hear this really narrow mind, like they chose to be there. I didn't choose addiction. I never wanted addiction. I didn't choose all the stuff that happened to me either that led to addiction. It just happened to me. And then the addiction came afterwards. Brad describes how he has been able to challenge external and internal stigma over time. I never used to have conversations like this. As a matter of fact, I never used to speak in front of people because I was scared of public speaking. But through years of working on myself and learning all these things and educating myself and, and being empathetic, seeing what others are going through and then putting that into my own life. I, I've learned to to be able to deal with things. So stigmas don't affect me the way they used to, but stigmas and stereotypes and people, especially with stigmas and stereotypes played a large part in the reason that I continued to struggle for years with addictions. People who told me that 
shake it off. Why can't you just drink like a normal person? This, this isn't a drinking problem. This is a you problem. Oh yeah. Well, it was a me problem, but it would have been nice to know why. What was helpful for you to rebuild and establish your self-esteem? Support and connection. Those were the things that I needed to rebuild myself. I needed a lot of things. Like I have a whole list of things that I go through my clients that I talk to them about, like goals and planning and scheduling and self-care and all these other things. But mostly the most important thing for me was support and connection and putting a voice to my pain. Those would be the, the, the big three. I needed those people that came around me that said, you're not alone. I needed to be connected to men and women and people all over that were struggling like I was so that I learned that so that we could support each other so that we realized that big thing is not being alone. And then when I was able to put a voice to my pain, to to my struggling, because of the support I had, because of the connection, because I realized I wasn't alone, that's when the real healing began. And I always say, you don't have to be like me and go on podcasts and go out and do it in front of, you don't have to talk in a big public forum in front of 50 or 500 people. Just find someone else that you can talk to that's your, that's, that person, everybody has that one, you know, like, and, and talk to them, share with them what you're going through, because you need to talk to somebody about your pain. You can't bottle it all up inside. And I always say, if you don't have someone go to my webpage and reach out to me, I'll talk to you. I think support connection and your voice are the big three for me that helped. They not only helped break the, the stigma around addiction, they made me realize that it was kind of a ridiculous thing to begin with. You can learn more about Brad and the supports he offers on his website, www.bradzaroski.com. Thanks so much, Brad, for sharing your story with us. For this episode, we also spoke to Daniel Hearn. Daniel has his own podcast, Hard Knocks Talks, where he talks to people overcoming substance use challenges. We were inspired by Daniel's work and want to learn a little bit more about his story. Thanks for having me, first of all. I would like to acknowledge that I'm coming at you from Treaty 6 territory, traditional homeland of the Métis people. I am a Métis man in recovery myself. My name is Daniel Hearn, up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. I am a live streaming talk show host slash podcaster slash producer slash all the things of Hard Knocks Talks. We talk a lot about all things substance use, really. We hear a lot of testimonies of inspiring stories of overcoming substance use challenges. We talk to advocates and academics, researchers, professionals about their vocations as it relates to substance use. We also ask Daniel to define stigma. I mean, it, it seems to be even more dangerous than than the toxic drug supply that, that we're being exposed to. Uh, I, I believe that if we if we were able to reduce stigma in our society, in our governments, in our in our decision makers, in in the way that these people think, we would see less harms in our community. We would be able to see decisions made that were that were helping instead of instead of harming. Daniel shared with us some of the challenges of internalized stigma. I think it, it, we've been so conditioned. To, to believe that, you know, what we've already been mentioning, that, that this is a, a, a choice that, that we should be able to just, you know, knock it off if we've got the willpower, or if, if we have a, a good enough reason, like, why, why couldn't we quit for our kids? Why couldn't we, you know, do, do all these things? And 
when we can't do those things, when we find that no matter how much we want to stop, we continue to use day after day, that sort of puts us in a place to to make us believe that this is this is a moral failing. Like I'm I'm not good enough to to be able to put this down. And that that stigma exists even even in the on the spectrum of care when we're talking about going into 12 step fellowships or when we're talking about uh, practicing harm reduction strategies there there seems to be stigma in all modalities you go into the the rooms of recovery and and oh you're not you're not clean if you don't you know if you don't do this if you're not abstinence if you're on uh, medically assisted treatment strategies you're not you're not clean you can't have a key tag you know i, I don't think that's that's a solid recovery for someone to be pointing fingers uh, like that. Daniel described how often stigma comes from all sides and the damage it does to self-esteem. It's hard. Like the, the stigma is everywhere from all sides. You know, you, you look at the healthcare providers that are that are providing care for people who are struggling with substance use. They come into the emergency room. They're 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 overdosing or they're suffering from a drug poisoning or or any number of substance use related harms. And they see that so often. They see it so much. And the same people coming back and coming back and and without the proper training to to have that level of understanding of the disorder they they become biased and jaded themselves and now there's they're they're turning people away or they're they're talking shit about them in the hallway when their ears work perfectly well i've heard it tons of times but when when we're in in these these situations and we hear these things oh it's just bob again and you know he doesn't give a shit you know that that kills that's a self-esteem killer you know that that pushes us further away from the solution I've definitely, for sure, had negative experiences going into the hospital to get help with an issue that was caused by my drug addiction. There was one time that I had to go in because I was afraid that my kidneys were not working properly. And the nurse uh, like mumbled, why do I always get the junkies or something? Yeah, that definitely definitely had a big effect, uh, affected my self-esteem. Yeah, that'll happen. We asked Dan if he had any ideas for how to address stigma within health systems. Well, I mean, in reducing stigma, it's, it's going to take tough conversations. It's going to take tough conversations in arenas that we're not comfortable in. Uh, as far as, as fixing the healthcare system, uh, man, we don't need more of what we already have. It's not that's a blanket statement. You know, that maybe that maybe that's not entirely true. There are there are services out there that are actually really good, but we don't have enough of them and people don't even really know about them. I do work with the Saskatchewan Union of Nurses. Uh, they support our platform quite regularly uh, because the conversations need to be had. We we bring on nurses who have struggled with substance use disorder and and they come and they share their story and they talk about their experiences in the healthcare system and seeing how people who struggle with substances are being marginalized they're being swept under the rug they're being ignored a lot of advocacy agencies out there a lot of very good advocacy agencies including mum stop the harm including prairie harm reduction they 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 advocate amongst many other things they point their advocacy at the government which is very very needed there's so much good research out there there's so much good work happening out there. There's addictions researchers and substance use researchers out there that have made wonderful progress in, in information and, and, and learning about what could change and how we can change it. But the government's not listening. So it's time to take it to the streets, so to speak. For Dan, he found that community and like-minded people helped him deal with the stigma. 
find like-minded people, you know, find, find people where you can go and practice being a human being again. When uh, you get so lost in the darkness and you forget who you are, it takes practice to learn how to be who you're meant to be. That doesn't just, you know, happen without some work. So finding a place where I could do that work, that's what worked for me, you know, and, and fortunately that place was where I wanted to be. That place worked for me. You know, there should be other places that work for other people in different ways. What is one thing you would tell your younger self to support your self-esteem? Fuck what they think. The yeah. End. Do you. Yeah. Nice and simple. <laughs> yeah. Daniel continues his advocacy work with his podcast, Hard Knocks. You can catch his episodes and more info at www.hardknockstalks.com. We appreciate him chatting with us and talking all things stigma. We hope you enjoyed this episode on stigma and the wisdom that Brad and Daniel shared with us. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll jump into discussing the intergenerational transmission of substance use. Be sure to fill out the listener survey link so we can hear what you got out of listening to this episode. This has been Sadie and Alex talking all things drug use on the prairies with Glass Gateway.